Hello, and welcome to Midweek in the Word podcast, brought to you by Faith Bible in Lincoln, Nebraska. Every week, we strive to become better readers, hearers, and doers of God's Word. Look for us every Wednesday where you stream your podcasts. Here's our host, Faith Bible's Adult Ministries pastor, Brad Myers. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Midweek in the Word. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Um, And I'm excited for today's episode. I really think that you are in for a treat. We'll be moving forward with our Bearing Witness series and introducing another genre, a new literary style in the Old Testament of writing. Today, we're going to tackle our first poetic book, specifically our first wisdom literature book, the book of Job, which you may have run into in your Bibles. I hope you have it sometime in your reading of the Bible. I'm looking forward to digging into this story, into this wisdom literature book, and hopefully shedding some light on how it fits within the overall message of what the Bible is saying. But before we get into that discussion, before we go there, I want to introduce our guests on the podcast this week. Uh, He was here for the first time a few weeks ago, uh, you may remember, uh, in April, but this is his first time doing an episode on this Bearing Witness series in the Old Testament. Back again, Gordon Opp, one of FBC's adult teachers. Welcome to the podcast, Gordon. Well, thanks. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you back, and I'm, I'm glad you're pinch-hitting here just a bit for me on this book of Job, even though Gordon didn't teach on the book of Job in our Old Testament survey class. He was willing to jump in here. He's taught the book of Job before, and uh, and, and join us here uh, to walk us through the book of Job. And just for a little bit of information, if you're new to the podcast and you didn't catch Gordon's story on April 20th, I'd encourage you to go back, check out that story, hear a little bit about him and um, how he came to Christ, what his background is, things like that, because um, we're not going to go back through those questions here this week. Um, But before we actually get into the actual content of the book of Job, I also want to take a moment and remind us of what we covered on Sunday. If you weren't able to join us on Sunday morning, Rob Drexilius from First Street Bible Church was a guest in the pulpit. He continued our series on Acts 2, 42 through 47 by discussing the early church's devotion to worship. Really appreciated that message. Hopefully it was an encouragement to you. And if you missed it, remember you can always find those on our website, faithbiblelincoln.org. Hit that sermons button. You can find any sermons you may have missed, or you can follow our sermons feed wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Faith Bible Church, Lincoln, Nebraska. Black background, white letters, that's our sermons feed, and you can always catch up on any messages you may have missed. All right, Gordon, that's it for the introduction. That's, that's okay. it for the formalities. We're going to dive into the book of Job <laughs> now. Um, I don't know how familiar or unfamiliar our listeners are going to be. Obviously, Job is a, is a large book in the Old Testament, but it's not necessarily one that most of us would gravitate toward reading if we just randomly opened our Bible. So I want to proceed as if we're dealing with people that are totally new to the content of this book. What is, what is the occasion, what is the situation of the book of Job in the Old Testament? Well, there's not there's some differences of opinion about when it was written and what the occasion was and so on. I take the position that it's pretty vague that these people involved all the characters are not necessarily Israelites and it didn't necessarily happen there. And I kind of think that's intentional uh, so that any of us and most of us will struggle with some difficult things in life. Mm. Uh, the yeah. book can really be applied to our problem of pain and suffering can be applied across the board to just about anybody. Yeah. And I I do think that's an important note. Obviously, uh, listeners, if you're familiar, scholars will debate somewhat. They'll debate who exactly this Job was, where he was, things like that. But I love love your comment here because the, the reality of suffering and the reality of God's hand in sovereignty over our life is... Pretty much the <laughs> consistent thing of a, no matter where you live, no matter when you live, that reality is still a part of life. 
uh, a counselor, a pastor that helped me in, in my struggles when I was young, I felt I had a situation that he couldn't understand. Mm. But he told me, he says, pain feels the same to everybody, mm. regardless of what caused it. Shame is the same way. Yeah. And suffering, we all suffer in different ways, but we experience the feeling the same way. Yeah. And in that way, we can encourage one another and we can uh, understand and come alongside and help, mm. even though the cause of it is not the same. So mm. the book of Job gives great comfort in that uh, mm. direction. Yeah. And obviously, listeners, we're tipping our hand a bit here to what the message of the book of Job is. But before we get in too far into the weeds of that, Gordon, let's talk about how this book is order- organized. Because there's a way this story is told that I think is particularly compelling for us and helps us understand Job's predicament, if you will. How, how is the book of Job organized? How is this story told? Well, in the beginning, I, I guess you, you, some people call it the prologue, and this takes place in the heavenlies where God is up there, and actually Satan and the, the evil uh, angels, fallen angels and everything, have access to that place in the heavenlies. And it's almost like a court up there, mm-hmm. but God initiates the whole thing, which has given me some pause <laughs> in It the is past. an interesting dialogue, that's for sure. God mm-hmm. says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Yeah. Now, if Job would have heard that, yeah, he probably would have been cringing. <laughs> yes. So, so that's the prologue, and we can come back and talk about details about that. Yeah. And then it details all the struggles that uh, God allowed Satan to test him with. Mm. And then you have Job and his friends. Yes. First three friends come. The infamous friends of Job. <laughs> yes. And then later the fourth friend comes, and uh, uh, they they visit with him, and of course they have the their presuppositions of what's wrong that that he has sinned in in some way. Yeah. Yeah, it, it in in some ways these chapters kind of take up this discourse, you know. Right. The the friends will speak why they believe Job is having all of his problems in life. Job will respond mm-hmm. and there's a kind of this back and forth, back and forth throughout the book. Right. One thing, you know, to prepare for this, I was just kind of overviewing Job and doing bits and pieces, and then I opened my Bible and looked at some of the things that are all marked up when I was teaching it. And so today, we are going through kind of the overview, but boy, I really encourage people to get in there and read the nitty-gritty, because there's so many things that are just really deep and touch your soul when you you experience what Job went through. And I just might say one thing about his friends, you know, they they were definitely wrong, and in in the... Epilogue at the end, uh, God says as much. However, when they first came to him and saw him in all his suffering, they sat with him silently for seven days. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good message for us when someone's suffering. Yeah. We're usually quick, faith Bible church. Yeah, we'll give yeah, them the Bible yeah, verse yeah, to yeah. fix the situation yeah. instead of sitting with them. Okay, yeah. so you have the uh, prologue up in heaven, and then you have the delineation of his sufferings, and then you have the friends, and then Job uh, uh, says to God, he, he's kind of upset and demands a response, you know, yep. why am I suffering? Yep. And then, so you have God's response. Yep. Yep. And, and then you have, uh, and of course, that's quite interesting, yep. and then you have the epilogue uh, where God says, he reiterates that Job was a righteous man, mm-hmm. and uh, then Job gets blessed not as that he earned the blessing to come back, but just as a gift of God, he got children again and his his uh, possessions and and things back. Yeah, 
Okay, so it's kind of interesting, too, as you think through the, the chapter breakdown here, okay? We like, to your point, the prologue is the first couple of chapters, right? Then we have how many chapters here in the middle? 30, 38, no, 37 chapters, basically dedicated. So basically chapter 3 through 37 is all Job and his friends. It's all of this discourse back and forth and back and right. forth. God responds in the last few chapters, and then we've got the epilogue, right. to your point. It it seems a fascinating way that the content of the book is broken down. So much of the content of the book is dedicated not specifically to Job's story, but to Job and his friends. Why is so much of the time spent on that? I believe because life is messy, mm. and it gives us examples of how they responded to Job, how he responded back defending himself. Uh, if you don't see how the book is set up with the uh, prologue and the epilogue and all of this stuff in between, you, and you, you might get a little lost in the weeds in the middle, yep, yep, yep. Uh, reading all about what, the, what they said and, and so on. Very good, which kind of speaks to where I want to go with this, because I want to talk a little bit about how this book is read. Because again, when we look at something and we go, okay, if I were, if I were to look at somebody and say, okay, 80% of this book is about X, it probably speaks to kind of what the emphasis of the book is and where things are going. So how do we go about reading this? Because I, I expect most of our listeners won't struggle too much to read chapters one and two, right. the introduction of the book and what's going on in heaven. Okay, he's framing this up. We sympathize with the struggle that Job is feeling as, you know, as, his, as family is taken away, as his possessions are taken away, as even his health is taken away. And then we have this giant section in the middle that we're going to begin to struggle. It's these long discourses, this, this poetic interchange between Job and his friends. Um, so how, how do we go about reading a book that's set up like this that maybe we don't intuitively um, read well or read and understand? We, we live in, I guess we call it the microwave age. We want everything instantly. Yeah. And life just isn't like that. Um, I mean, the book, they're asking the wrong question. Hmm. They're asking, why did Job suffer? And so they start out with this presupposition, and it takes all these chapters, but they're still asking the wrong question to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you get to the end, to the epilogue, God really compliments Job again, reiterating that he's a righteous man, and even makes mentions of his words, that his words were good. Well, really? I mean, there, Job came to a point where he said, God, you have to tell me. I demand that you give me a reason why yep. I am suffering. Yep. And th that's uh, the right question is, uh, is God just? Yeah. And how does he live in a world and, and create justice? Yeah. And at one point, uh, God says to Job, okay, do you want to be God for a day? Yeah. You figure <laughs> out everything. Okay, there's this situation here with this married couple. Yeah. What's the just thing to do? Yeah. Here's yeah. a business thing. What's the just thing to do? Yeah. Showing Job that he has such tunnel vision because he's just a human being, he has little bit of experience. Mm -hmm. And so the point of the book, I guess we're getting way ahead here. No, go for it. Go there, go there, go. <laughs> the point of the book is who are we to question what God does? Yeah. And that should not give us a hard heart toward God. Rather, he invites us to trust him. Yeah. But the point I wanted to make in the epilogue is that God even mentioned Job's words. Mm -hmm. And so I have to say, really? Mm -hmm. He really got upset with you. Mm -hmm. And I believe that all of those chapters in there 
you know, documenting the back and forth between the friends and all the frustrating things. And yet, because of the epilogue, I feel like God is saying, it's okay. It's okay to struggle with these things. It's okay to bring it to your friends and question why. Mm. But in the final analysis, we have to trust God. And I think one of the things that we have a tendency to forget when reading the book of Job that I've just been fascinated by <clears throat> is we get this window into heaven. You know, as you get the, you get the what do they call that in, in writing? Um, you get the omniscient author. You know, we, we get a view where the author gives us a window into heaven. Mm-hmm. Job doesn't have that perspective. No. He doesn't see this interchange between God and, and him saying, look, this, look at my servant Job. Job doesn't know why this is happening to him. He just knows that it is. And then at the end of the book, through the whole book, Job has asked God, give me a sit down. Let me, let me talk to God. Let me get the answer to this. And ultimately, and it's kind of frustrating to our common sensibilities where we want an answer and a reason for everything, ultimately, the God does not give him that no. answer. He does he not does. ever sit down with him and give him that answer. He does, he does sit down with him, um, but the answer is, I'm God and you're not. And I think that's so incredibly illuminating to what the point of the book is. You know, all of his friends bring in these worldly understandings of, well, this is the way God must respond, right? I mean, this is because this is the way I see the world. And so God has to respond this way. And in some ways, the book of Job blows that out of the water, all of these carefully crafted things that we think we can understand precisely why things happen and precisely what's going on in our lives. And Job never gets that answer. No. You know, not in a way that would satisfy him. Sometimes you'll talk to unbelievers, and some believers too, maybe a child dies or yeah. there's some tragedy that happens, and they say, a loving God wouldn't do this. Yeah. We just don't know. He is a loving God, period. We know that from yeah. all of Scripture. And another thing about this book that is just so um, revealing is God's world. Mm. The yeah. world is absolutely beautiful, and it's remarkably ordered. Yeah. I know when I see some medical thing, uh, I have an eye problem, and they tell me what they're going to do and how this the eyeball works and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in my mind, I think, yeah, and that just happened to evolve. Nobody, <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from, I wonder? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody chose, yeah. you know, planned it out. Yeah, yeah. So we look at creation, and it's just absolutely gorgeous and so ordered and beautiful, and yet... It's also wild and crazy mm. and unpredictable uh, with weather, wild animals, yeah, uh, yeah. just tragedies that happened. And so the point, one of the points I get out of the book is for some reason, the fall happened and God allows the world to move forward with all kinds of suffering and pain. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we at the broad strokes of the world, you know, looking at it that way, and then the book of Job shows us one person, yeah. one example. Yeah. But the answer is the same. Yeah. And I, again, it, it doesn't undermine God's sovereignty. It doesn't undermine God's goodness. It doesn't undermine God's justice. But what I do think the book of Job, if, if you take it within, uh, you know, I mean, Historically, the, the wisdom literature books, you know, people would think of Proverbs. You know, most people have read Proverbs. Ecclesiastes, most mm-hmm. people are familiar with Ecclesiastes. I would also have a tendency to include Job within the wisdom literature books for the reason that I think Job provides in some ways the counterbalance to kind of the, the formulaic 
proverbial understanding of wisdom. You know, Proverbs lays out very clearly that God has an order to creation. It's kind of that idea. Like, there are pathways that, like, there's wisdom, and that's the pathway through which life is lived. You know, either live in the fear of the Lord and wisdom, or don't live in the fear of the Lord and wisdom. And if we took Proverbs all by itself, we would have this idea that, like, if I do the right things, my life is going to take this easy, successful, prosperous path. And in some ways, I love the book of Job because it kind of shows the wildness of what you're saying, the unpredictability of the way life... Again, God is sovereign over all of it, but it's not as simple as plug the formula in, do the right things, and your life is going to turn out the way you hope it will. Right. You know, because Job, a lot of good things happen, and then a lot of bad things happen. Yeah, when you read Proverbs, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Exactly. Well, that Mm. is a principle. Yeah. It is not a promise. Yeah. And we need to read this this literature that way. Yep. Uh, but you mentioned several times here about fearing God. Yeah. And I've told people, people that know me, I've said many times, if I really concentrated for the rest of my life on what it means to fear God, that'd be a worthy pursuit. Mm. And so fearing God, it's definitely fear. Mm. I mean, look what happened to Job. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a fear of this ogre. Yeah. It's fear and trust in his absolute love and plan for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's a good reminder if we consider that as the, the primary message of what this book is trying to communicate to us and this this reality that, I mean, you know, Job's words early in the book just stick out to me, you know, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. You know, I mean, yes. that I think is part of what's what's going on in this book. And to some people, that's going to seem a little strange, admittedly, but it's very consistent with what the overall scripture is teaching, right. especially this fear of the Lord and God's sovereignty and our obedience to him. The prologue taking place in heaven is so significant yeah. to me because, I mean, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, why does he say that? Because the righteous living of Job brings glory to God. Yeah. And that glory of God is proclaimed throughout the heavenlies. Yeah. Uh, in one of Paul's books, he talks about us being seated in the heavenlies right yeah. now. Yeah. Why yeah. are we there? Yeah. We are there. So right now, in some sense, those of us that are living here on earth and pleasing God and glorifying him, God is like a trophy case up there. He has our lives up there mm. and saying, look, look at my servant. Yeah. And so that's just a real insight. And like you say, Job didn't have that. But when you have that insight and you realize that we are only here for a short time, and Paul says our struggles are just (laughs) minuscule compared to what it's going to be like when we're in heaven, all of that gives uh, balance to or helps us understand what's going on and helps us to accept what happened to Job. Yeah. And to accept what happens to ourselves and our loved ones. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a hard reality, but I think the the Old Testament message and the whole book, message of the Bible would be missing a piece, you know, without what Job offers in that respect, mm-hmm. without that insight into the way life is lived and God's hand in it. Okay, let's let's shift gears here just a little bit. I know I know it may sound like a strange question. We haven't really touched on it so far. Um, what about Christ? Well, one of the things we're talking about through this whole series is how the whole Old Testament is driving, is pointing toward, is anticipating, is prophesying about, is bearing witness to Christ. That may seem like a strange thing, because nobody's going to look at the book of Job and say, there's Jesus. 
you know, maybe intuitively, but where do we see Christ anticipated or testified about in a book like Job? <laughs> that, that's a, a really good question. Uh, I mentioned this, I think, in the last podcast that I'd been reading Dane Ortland's book, uh, Gentle and, yeah. and Lowly, yeah. and it really changed my, oh, just the way I think of God the Father and God the Son mm. and God the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's easy to think of God the Father as a little less loving, mm-hmm. a little less merciful, uh, just less than Jesus is. Yeah. Uh, but it's just not so. Yeah. Uh, the whole plan of salvation and everything was both of them and agreed upon. Right. And uh, so that book helped me to really sense the love of God the Father. So in this book, it doesn't say anything about Jesus, mm. but the love of God the Father really comes through. Mm. Even in the very beginning, up in heaven, have you considered my servant Job? Yeah. I mean, he's so fond of Job. He loves Job. He's blessed him. And yet his sovereignty allowed this to all happen for some reason. And then he blesses him again mm. in the end. Yeah. So it's, how does it relate to Christ? I see the love of God the Father um, in showing it to his servant, Job. Mm. Which, obviously, God's love being acutely, primarily manifested in his sending of Christ, his Son, into the world to redeem us. Right. Uh, yeah, no, de- no denying that reality as well. Okay, so lastly, let me, I mean, we've touched on this a little bit. We want to make sure that we don't just talk about a book like Job intellectually. It, it has to have an impact on our day-in and day-out living. Um, there may not be something where you're reading, you know, Elihu, and you're going, okay, now I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> There's probably that, that, sort of, that sort of a do-level application. But what is, what is it that God is trying to get us to understand, believe, desire, as, as a result of reading a book like Job? I think it all goes, boils down to trust. Hmm. You know, those of us that have grandkids, or maybe some of you have small children, there's a point where they just totally trust you. Yeah, I've got my 20-year-old grandkid. Uh, he remembers when he was like three or four, and I picked him up. I was on a ladder doing something high up in our house in, on one of the walls there, and there's a shelf there to display stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just picked him up and set him up there. <laughs> so now, much to his parents' horror. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so now he's about nine feet in the air sitting up yeah. there. And as a 20-year-old, he remembers that. But he wow. totally trusted me as his grandpa, that nothing was going to happen. Nothing bad was going to happen. Wow. And so I think it's all about trust. Uh, I like the phrase reckless abandon, Mm. abandonment. I want to recklessly abandon my life to God no matter what uh, may come my way. That's It's kind of a dangerous thing to say, Mm. but that would be my goal. So I think... What he wants us to understand is that we should trust in his goodness. Mm-hmm. When Job demands an answer from God, one of the first things God says is, uh, were you around when I put the stars in their place? Mm-hmm. Can you make the planets orbit? Do you know the secrets of how wild animals breed or eat or hunt? Can you do any of that? Yeah. And so... That's why the incarnation 
Christ's coming is so fabulous because we see the love of God the Father mm. in another human being that we can relate to. And mm. Jesus has his body right now in heaven. Mm. So I think of that. And so I think of my little grandson when he was three or four or whatever, and I want to be that trusting child in the arms of God no matter what. Mm. Well, and I, I love that you use that phrase because we, we would refer to it as that idea of reckless abandon. Um, and yet, ironically, and, and very much what the point of the book of Job is communicating to us is, well, to the world and the world's systems, it may look reckless to put our hands and fully trust in God. We know him. We know his heart. We know his love. And so it's the least reckless thing we can possibly do. <laughs> you know what I mean? In spite of yes. the fact, I, I love the phrase, but it's also the safest place we can be. In spite of what the world may have been looking at Job's life and saying, why are you following God? Look at your life. I mean, the message is that's precisely where Job needed to be. It was hard. That's absolutely true. But he was precisely where he needed to be because he was in the hands of a loving father. Or loving grandfather. You know, yeah. Not God, but you know, that same idea. I love that illustration. So. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Yeah. And you have to, this is another thing that's good about this book is his friends. And they really were his friends. And they were trying to do <laughs> They really the right, were trying. They yes. were trying to do the, the right thing. And so to listen to people and, and to just work through as human beings, mm-hmm. instead of thinking in our small, narrow ways of thinking that justice means that I do the right thing, and I'm always rewarded correctly about it. Yep. Because the world doesn't work that way. We know that God's always loving, but it doesn't always seem that way. Mm. And here is a whole book with lots of words in it uh, telling us that, yeah, it's not always that way. Mm. And to your point, obviously, the, the, the central tenet of what we believe is the cross. An example that the most righteous person who lived the most righteous life ever on earth died one of the most cruel deaths and lived one of the hardest lives ever. Right. I mean, that reality is, is I think, is a good example of that as well. Well, listeners, we're, we're running into time here a bit on the book of Job. I, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. I, I hope it's been an encouragement to you as we've gone through this. Obviously, some of the things, Job is kind of a, a strange book in, in the way you come at it because of the things that we're talking about. We don't know exactly the occasion. We don't know exactly who Job was. We don't entirely understand exactly where that falls. But the message of the book, this idea of asking the wrong questions, uh, you know, Job's friends asking the wrong questions, coming to the wrong assumptions as he's struggling in life, and the reality that we can trust God and we can put absolute, complete faith and trust in God because he's good and because he's sovereign and because he loves us is really the tenet of this book. That's what drives this book, as, as especially the poetic and wisdom literature. We'd encourage you to read it as you go through it for yourself. Um, any, any final thoughts or encouragements from this book that you'd like to leave our listeners with, Gordon? Yeah, as far as reading it, uh, I, I really do like the Bible Project videos, mm, yeah. and I would suggest that you listen to that video. It's, it's really easy. You just go to Bible Project videos and key in the book uh, Job, and you'll get about an eight or ten minute overview of the book, yeah. and that gives you a, a uh, outline on how to read it. Yeah. And then I would just you know, we have so many uh, resources. You can listen to it, you can yeah, read it, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But do listen to the whole thing. Read the whole thing because it'll touch you where 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 you really are conflicted. Yeah, yeah. 
Very good. Well, listeners, that is it for this week's episode on the book of Job. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to listen to it. Uh, Let me just put a bug in your ear real quickly. We'd love to see you at either our 9 or 1030 services this Sunday for worship as Brad Orda from Country Bible will be tackling fellowship from that Acts 20 or Acts 2, 42 through 47 passage. I also want to note here real quickly uh, what we said again on Sunday, June 5th, we will be moving to our One Faith Summer, one worship service at 9 a.m., followed by a fellowship and educational hour at 1030. We'd love to see you join us for those nine Sundays over the course of the summer. Hopefully, it'll be at a sweet time for us together as a church. And thanks for taking the time to listen again this week. If it's been helpful to you, remember, you can always share it, rate it, or comment on it to help other people find it. And we hope you join us again next week on Midweek in the Word. Thanks for taking time to join us for Midweek in the Word. To hear previous podcast episodes, be sure to follow, like, and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about Faith Bible Church, please visit our website at www.faithbiblelincoln.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Faith Bible Lincoln or tweet us at FBC Lincoln. And now we leave you with these encouraging words from Hebrews 12. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith.